I come from uh, Port Elizabeth in the very southern tip of Africa. We're actually more south than Cape Town. Uh, we are the windy city, but we're also known as the friendly city, and that's the one we want to own. And I um, want to just give you a little bit of introduction. As Mark said, my name is Mark. Uh, I'm married to one wife, and I love her very much. Her name is Margot. And I have two boys. Uh, they are 15, almost 16, and 13, almost 14. So they are almost, well, the one is taller than me, and my second uh, son is, is going to soon be taller than me. So I'm going to be the third tallest in the house. Life moves on so quickly from, uh, you know, little kids and suddenly they're adults walking around in the house. But they're a real blessing to me. And uh, we send love from, from Port Elizabeth to all of you. And it's such a blessing to be with you. So I'm going to launch right into the message now. And my message title is called The Greater Spiritual Descendants of Kohath. Now, it's not the title of a new Lord of the Rings movie. Um, when I'm finished in about 90 minutes or so, you will understand. <laughs> I've got 90 minutes. The Lord of the Rings movies are three hours, Mike. So um, i sure you can give me half of that. No, I'm really kidding. Um, I will be 30 minutes and... I'm trusting that by the end you'll be encouraged. So let me jump right into it. I felt it was appropriate to start with a bad joke. When you're a dad, you have to have a whole lot of bad jokes to embarrass your kids with. So I've collected some over the years. Here's one. A man is driving down a country road when he spots a farmer standing in the middle of a field. Curious, he pulls the car over and walks out to the farmer. Excuse me, he says, but why are you standing there doing nothing? The farmer says, I'm, I'm trying to win a Nobel Prize. How, asked the man, to which the farmer replies, I heard they give it to people who are outstanding in their field. <laughs> outstanding in their field. So, so the thing about the world we live in is we, we are always looking for the spectacular, the outstanding, the greater. And we talk about being the GOAT, the G-O-A-T, the greatest of all time. Everyone wants to be the greatest of all time. We look for the spectacular and the amazing. And that's what we, the world we live in. And then I kind of thought, wow, we hopefully get away from all that in the Scripture. And then Jesus says in John 14, 12, He says, I'll tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in Me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. How many of you have been confused and almost sometimes disturbed by that Scripture? You will do greater things than me. Um, it's hard to imagine doing greater things than Jesus, isn't it? If that scripture is telling us that we're meant to be more spectacular than Jesus, then that's a bit of a problem because Jesus raised the dead. That's a hard one to top. I don't know how you do better than that. Maybe you walk into a mortuary and raise like five people from the dead at the same time and you can say, oh, I've been greater than Jesus. Uh, Jesus calmed the storm. He spoke to the elements. He said, be still. That's a hard one to top. How are we meant to be greater than Jesus? That's an amazing miracle. I thought maybe we should be running into tornadoes and trying to calm them. Then we can say we are being greater than Jesus. Please don't try that at home. I really would not encourage that. Jesus turned the water into wine, didn't he? How are we gonna be more spectacular than that's an amazing miracle? I think though at some parties, the better miracle would be to turn the wine back into water. But you won't be very popular. Jesus, Jesus walked on water. That's an amazing miracle. I, I, we have a, a pastor that visited us a few years ago, and, and true story, he says that every night after he's run his bath, 
Is it a bath or a bath? How do you, a bath, you know what a bath is, all right. Every now, after he has run his bath, he, he tries to walk on the bath water. He, every night, no jokes, he, he runs the, the bath and then he sees, I want to see if I can walk on the water. He's trying, he hasn't got it right. But the problem is, is even if he gets it right, it will not be more spectacular than Jesus because crossing your bath is not as impressive as crossing the Sea of Galilee as Jesus did. So what is the scripture saying? We're gonna come back to that. You will do even greater works than me. Um, most of us haven't even done what Jesus has done, let alone the greater works, greater things. We're gonna come back to that. I'm gonna tie that up at the end. But I wanna remind you why he could even say, you will be, do what I do and even greater. Why could he say that? Because he knew the cross was coming and through his shed blood, he was gonna purify us and he was going to be able to then, as purified vessels, be able to pour the Holy Spirit into us. And in the new covenant, we went from being unworthy to even touch his presence, to come near his presence, where the high priest could go in once a year and, and he was worried he was gonna die when he went into the presence of God. Now we come into his presence and we not only come into his presence, we carry his presence inside of us and we are, we are the temples of the Holy Spirit. It says in, two, in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 90, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you, was given to you by God. We are the temple and we are also the priests. 1 Peter 2, verse 9 says we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We've literally become his presence carriers on earth. I don't think we truly understand how powerful that statement is. We carry the presence of God. I don't think I fully comprehend that. And I think if I truly grasp it, it would even change the way I think and even look at the world and life around me. We are presence carriers. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of us. That's why Jesus said we could do greater works than him. This presence of God once resided in an ark of the covenant inside the tabernacle and then later in the temple. This presence of God was so powerful that in reading 2 Samuel 6, how David was trying to get the ark back from Jerusalem and it was being pulled by an ox on a cart and the oxen stumbled and the cart began to move and wobble and the ark of the covenant was about to fall and a man by the name of Uzo reaches out to stabilize the cart. He touches it, he was not authorized to touch the the. The, the ark and he was struck dead. It almost feels unfair, doesn't it? He was doing a good deed. But that's the power of God and that's the power that's inside of us. Never mind touching it, not touching it. We are now called the temples. It resides in us as his presence carriers. Now, to fully understand our role as presence carriers, we need to go back to the Old Testament and see where it all started because the Old Testament speaks to the new. A lot of what we live in today was foreshadowed by very practical things in the Old Covenant. So let's read again, 1 Peter 2 verse 9. I'll just read it out to you. You are, you are a chosen uh, race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. So we are a royal priesthood. There were 12 tribes in Israel, right? And the tribe of Levi was the tribe from where the priests came. So not all Levites in the tribe of Levi, not all Levites were priests, but every priest had to be a Levite. And so the, the, the tribe that we would belong to, now we are in a new covenant now, but if we were to go and parallel ourselves to the Old Testament, the tribe we would belong to is the tribe of Levi. Did you know that? Because we understand that we are all priests. The priesthood of all believers is a well understood concept. The priesthood of all believers. So we belong to the tribe of Levi. That's why I recommend you buy Levi jeans. It's the jeans for the priests. And I wasn't paid to say that. I'm actually not wearing Levi jeans. But the Levites were very, very important. They were set apart for special work. 
they served in the temple. They served in the temple. Um, later, it was built into stone, but in the desert, it was called the tabernacle. It was moved around the desert, and it was the tabernacle. And the priests served in the tabernacle, and the priests moved the tabernacle, the tent around as they moved through the desert. They, they looked after the Levites, literally looked after the structure that housed the presence of God on earth. Now, I want to go deeper into an aspect of the Levites' work, which I believe foreshadowed very powerfully what God wants us to understand today in our new role. We've been speaking about the tribe of Levi where the priests came. Within the tribes, every tribe had clans. So there were tribes, and then inside the tribes, there were clans. And these clans were named after the person from whom they were descended. So Kohath was the father of a clan called the Kohathites. So it was the tribe of Levi, and inside the tribe of Levi were three clans, and one of these clans was the Kohathite clan. So the Levites in general had the job of taking care of the tabernacle, but the Kohathites had a very specific role, which we'll talk about now. A very specific role in that they were uh, responsible, the Kohathites were responsible for the most holy things, the most sacred things. I, I had to do a bit of research to find this out. No, I didn't. I just had to read Numbers 4, verse 4. Many people say, I research this, but they just read it in the Bible. So I just read it in the Bible. The duties of the Kohathites at the tabernacle will relate to the most sacred objects. All right, so the Kohathites were responsible for, I'm summarizing a lot of scripture. We would take all day to read it, but the Kohathites were, you have to trust, trust me, I promise you, go read it for yourself, read that passage. But the Kohathites were responsible for the table of the showbread, which we understand to be the bread of the presence um, and they were responsible for the, for the, for the Ark of the Covenant. And, and the Ark of the Covenant was literally the epicenter of the presence of God. These were the items in the tabernacle that they were responsible for. All the things relating to the presence of God. And the Kohathites would, would look after these objects when they were camped. And then as they moved, the Kohathites would be responsible for transporting these most holy items relating to the presence of God, transporting them to the next destination. Now, in Numbers 4, verse 15, we read together, it says, the camp will be ready to move when Aaron and his sons have finished covering the sanctuary and all the sacred articles. Then it says, the Kohathites, the Kohathites will come and carry these things to the next destination, but they must not touch the sacred objects or they will die. So these are the things from the tabernacle that the Kohathites must carry. We're told that they carry the sanctuary objects on their shoulders. What they would do is they would have poles and they would rest the sanctuary objects, the Ark of the Covenant, the showbread, all the other holy items representing God's presence. They would carry them on poles on their shoulders. They weren't even allowed to touch the Ark directly, but they carried the Ark. They carried the presence of God. So the other Levites had other responsibilities. The Kohathites were responsible for transporting the presence of God. They were the presence carriers. It was a very important job. Now, with that backdrop, let's go to Numbers 7. And in Numbers 7, we read about a time where Moses received gifts from other tribal leaders. There were 12 tribes. The other 11 tribes, some of them sent ox wagons and, 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 and oxen to help with the work. And let's read it together. The Lord said to Moses in Numbers 7 verse 5, receive their gifts and use these oxen and wagons for transporting the tabernacle. Distribute them among the Levites according to the work they have to do. And we read on in verse six, it says, so Moses, number, six from, uh, number seven from verse six, so Moses took the wagons and oxen and presented them to the Levites. He gave two wagons and four oxen to the Gershonite division for their work, and he gave four wagons and eight oxen to the Merarite division for their work. It was the, those were the other two clans, and all their work was done under the leadership of Ithamar, son of Aaron the priest. Now, 
other two Levite clans, the Gershonites and the Merarites, they got big wagons, strong oxen to help them with their work when they were moving things around, when they were camped, but also to be able to move the whole tabernacle when they moved in the desert. So then we get to the Kohathite clan. Number seven, verse nine, it says, but he gave none of the wagons or oxen to the Kohathite division. That doesn't seem fair, does it? They didn't get wagons. The Kohathites didn't get wagons or oxen since they were required, it says, to carry the sacred objects of the tabernacle on their shoulders. They weren't given oxen. The Kohathites had to do the work themselves. They were not allowed to use ox wagons to carry the sacred objects. The Kohathites had to carry themselves. God, God made this clear and he'd spelt it out. And so when we jump back to the story of Uzzah, which happened later, where Uzzah touched the ark and he was struck dead, we need to understand there were multiple things that were wrong about this. Firstly, God said only the priests may touch, the high priest may touch the the. the the ox, so there was a problem with that. He wasn't authorized to touch it. But secondly, God has specifically said, we just read now, many years before the Uzo moments when he was struck dead, he said very many years before, he said, my presence shall not be carried on ox wagons, only by the priests, more specifically the Kohathite priests, the Kohathite clan. And so the whole situation was very contrary to God's word. So it seems so unfair, but the whole thing was not in order because God that decided that his presence would be carried on the shoulders of the Kohathites. So the ark did eventually get to Jerusalem, but it came in, if you read the story, it came in on the shoulders of the men who were authorized to carry it. Now, I wanna to get to the nub of my message. Number seven, verse nine, I believe this is a prophetic word to us in the kingdom for this time, and this word is burning on my heart. As I read it, God just dropped this into my spirit, and I wanna read it again and then unpack it a little bit. Number seven, verse nine, but he gave none of the wagons or oxen to the Kohathite division since they were required to carry the sacred objects of the tabernacle on their shoulders. This is very important. They could not outsource the carrying of, presence of, the, carrying of the presence of God. They couldn't outsource it to anyone or anything. They had to carry it themselves. And this is what I believe what God wants to say to us. He says he wants us personally involved with his presence. When it comes to my presence, he's saying, I want you I want you personally involved. So firstly, that means when it comes to us practicing God's presence in our own lives, we, we cannot always look to someone else, the pastor, who has to minister to us for us to receive and enter into his presence. We can't rely on a TV ministry, on a, on, a, on, a, on a big name preacher. Sometimes we rely on a certain style of music. I only get into God's presence when I listen to this kind of music. We need to find God for ourselves. We need to learn how to find him in a quiet place alone when there's no preacher and no music playing. God's saying, I want you involved personally. Don't look for an ox wagon to do the job in that moment. I want you to put it on your shoulders. But secondly, and I wanna dwell around this a bit more. Secondly, I believe God's saying through this word that he wants us to take his presence to the world on our shoulders, wherever he's placed us. We, we've gotta stop looking, because I do the same in, in some places. We've gotta stop looking for someone or something else. We've gotta stop looking for an ox and a cart to do the job that he's given us to do. Because he's authorized us. We're his presence carriers. That's how he took it through the desert. His presence went through the desert on the shoulders of his priests, and it goes to the world on the shoulders of us, his new covenant priests. If Jesus is Lord and Savior of your life, then you're authorized to be a presence carrier. What a privilege, what an honor, but what a responsibility we carry. We can't let an ox and a cart do what is our job to do. Now, what does this mean practically? It means 
But when someone in a connect group or after church or some space that you're operating in, if they need a word from the Lord, if they look discouraged, we can't always look for a pastor to come. We can't always look for a pastor to come because God's saying, I put you there. You can do it. Put the spirit and my presence on your shoulders and you take, you take me to the person that needs me. When someone is sick, we, we must lay hands on them. We don't have to look for someone else to do that. We're authorized. Because very often we go, oh, I don't want to pray for this person. This is, like, this is rough. This is a, we, I mean, I, it's hard. You pray for people with cancer and all kinds of things. You're called to pray for the sick. It's very easy in that moment to go, I want an ox wagon, something bigger and stronger than me to do this job. I don't want to get involved. And God's saying, no, I want it on your shoulders. I want you to pray for that person. We are the designated presence carriers. Um, when it comes to his presence, he wants us personally involved. And here's the thing. There's a lot of work to be done. How many of you know there's a very lost world out there? Jesus said, he looked around the crowds and he said, uh, they are helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They're confused. How many of you know that's more true today than I think it was even true then? The world is confused and hurting and there's a lot of work to be done. That's why Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send the workers. But I want you to think about it for a moment. The Kohathites didn't have the help of ox-drawn carts when they had to move God's presence. So it goes without saying that for them to get the job done, all of them had to get involved. The other tribes had oxen to help, so some of them could supervise and uh, they could, you know what, you always get the guy that watches everyone else doing the work and tells them what to do. Uh, um, we, we know how that works. But there were people like that, I'm sure, in the other tribes because they had help, they had oxen. The Kohathites had no help, no oxen. They all had to lift the poles on their shoulders. They all had to help. Otherwise, they weren't gonna get God's presence to the next destination. They had to all step up and I really believe prophetically God's saying the job that lies ahead for us in his kingdom is just too big for a few people. It's all of us. All of us carrying his presence to where he's called us to. And it's not the spectacular, it's the little acts of praying for someone, giving them a word. And that brings me back to John 14, 12, where we started. John 14, 12 says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I've done, even greater works they will do because I'm going to be with the Father. I want to read that quickly. It's not going to come up. I'm going to read it. Just listen to this text in the Amplified version of the Bible. The Amplified brings out a lot of the original Greek in the New Testament. And this is the way it says. It says, it says I assure you and most solemnly say to you, anyone who believes in me as Savior will do the things that I do and will do even greater things than these in extent and outreach, in extent and outreach, because I'm going to the Father. So here's the thing. If you look at the original Greek text, Jesus wasn't saying you're gonna do a greater quality miracle than me, and you're not gonna be more, necessarily have to be more spectacular than me, but he says you're gonna do a greater quantity of miracles because there's gonna be so much more of you when I'm, when I'm gone, because the Holy Spirit's gonna come and I'm gonna multiply myself into thousands of people and then into hundreds of thousands and then over the centuries into millions of people. Jesus saw a giant priesthood of his church all rising up and he said, you will be greater than me because there'll be so many more of you operating in the anointing and doing the work that I did. So it's not about being more spectacular than Jesus. We've established that's probably not gonna happen, but Jesus, when he was on earth, chose to be in a human body. He could only be in one place at one time. He says, when I go, my spirit will come and then I'm gonna multiply myself into many, many people. We're empowered to be a big royal priesthood. The ESV Study Bible says this of John 14, 12, and it's 95 theological professors from Wheaton, Illinois, who all agree with me. So I think I'm on the side of truth here. It says, these works are greater 
Not because they are more amazing miracles, but because they will be greater in their worldwide scope and will result in the transformation of individual lives and of whole cultures and societies. That's what Jesus said when he meant, you will do greater things than me. And he could boldly say it because he knew he was gonna die and he was gonna make a way for his spirit to come. And collectively he knew we would be able to do a greater quantity of supernatural work. So don't feel guilty when you read that scripture. Don't feel guilty that you're not being more spectacular than Jesus. You don't have to be outstanding. You just have to be part of the game. You just have to step up with all the other fellow believers. In a sense, like the Kohathites, put our shoulder to the wheel, do what God's called us to do. We'll become part of the greater work he dreamed for his church. I'm not trying to downplay the miraculous. I think we need to be trusting for more miraculous healings. I think we need to be trusting even to raise the dead. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, I think what happens is we read that about the greater works and being, being more spectacular than Jesus as we think that's what it means. I think we do that and then we become so overwhelmed that we don't even get started with the little things God put before us. So often watched opportunities come for us to do something. I've had the same and we look for an ox and a cart in that moment not because we're lazy, but because we think someone else can do a better job than us. We don't realize what we're actually carrying. We keep comparing ourselves to the spectacular and we forget the huge impact we can have in the everyday moments. I think the problem we have is not that we don't dream big enough. I think the problem is sometimes we don't dream small enough. Let me elaborate. We live in a world that tells us to dream big. Nothing wrong with, with dreaming big. We're so often pushed to dream big though that we miss the small opportunities that come across our path every day because for us to do the greater works than Jesus, we need a great number of people in the supernatural. We don't just need a few people doing great miracles. We need a great number of people doing a whole lot of small miracles. And then the impact will be enormous. I was praying for a confirmation for this word as I was coming over, knowing that you're a church, that you, you, you do this already and God's really just reaffirming that. Some, maybe it's even encouraging you to step into what God's calling to you. But I was looking for a confirmation and the Lord led me to watch on the plane on the way over. I was traveling on British Airways and so I thought, let me watch something about the Queen. And I watched a, an amazing documentary that was put together with her, some of her private, she authorized the use of some of her private cine uh, camera work that she'd recorded over all the years behind the scenes and she'd done a narration. And one of the lines just jumped out to me. Um, she said, the cumulative impact of thousands of small acts of goodness can be bigger than we imagine. Isn't that true? If we all play our part, then we have an enormous impact. I wanna say this, if, if you as a church raised someone from the dead, word would get out, most people would be skeptical, it would be a powerful moment, but it would not be as impactful as if all of you brought the supernatural into your community. That is much more powerful. And that's what you're doing. That's what God's calling us to do. We all get to play our part. I've loved to play my part over the years. In fact, I was here in um, September 2012. I was here in the UK. It's 10 years ago now. At that stage, I was a, I was a worship leader in my home church. I was a worship leader before I became senior pastor. Depends who you speak to as to whether that was an upgrade or a downgrade. Um, if you speak to, to, to Mark, you'll say worship leader to senior pastor is an upgrade. If you speak to Tom, you'll say you downgraded. So it depends who you talk to, but that was, that's what I was doing. Um, and I've been invited to minister here in the UK at a number of churches. I just brought out a worship album and I was just 
trying to promote it, and I was also doing some speaking while I was here. One of the churches I, I had to go to was quite far. I was in Maidstone. I had to go quite far to Oxfordshire area. It was a long overland train trip, and I was quite excited because they were putting on a special midweek service because I was coming, and, and more than half the church turned up to this midweek service, and it was an incredible time of worship, and I got to preach too. The Lord gave me a word of knowledge for someone that was in the meeting, and Later on, the pastor's wife said, that lady was backsliding and your word of knowledge pulled her right back into the fold and they were so excited. It was an electric evening. <laughs> but you see that most of you, when I was telling the story, you pictured a big auditorium like this, didn't you? You pictured a band, you pictured a PA system, you pictured lights. But, but the church was about 25 people and 12 people came out for the midweek service. It was half the church. But only 12 people. And the service was very electric and it was very powerful, but it was not in a big hall. It was in someone's living room. In fact, there was no microphone, no fancy lighting. The, the microphone was me singing or speaking louder or softer. That's what it was. And the pulpit was the edge of a kitchen counter. That's where I ministered from. But you see, it was an incredible evening. I did minister to that lady. Her life was impacted, but it wasn't a big auditorium. It was 12 people in a living room. <laughs> you see, but then from there, I went to, to a big worship conference down in Eastbourne, 3,000 plus people. I actually, Mark was speaking there, and it was a, a big gathering. Uh, Reuben Morgan from Hillsong was leading worship. Matt Redman was there leading worship, and he just won the Grammy for 10,000 reasons. Everyone was impressed except Mark, though. Um, in, his, in his own way, he apologized to everyone after Matt had led worship, that they had to endure his worship leading. You know how Mark keeps everyone humble. But everyone, we were all very impressed. Uh, Matt's just won the Grammy. It's a, it's, a, it's a secular award for this song. And I'm sitting there watching 3,000 people being led by Matt Redman and all these other worship leaders, and I'm going, oh, my word, what I did in that living room was so insignificant. And then I started thinking, and then there are other worship leaders, people like Chris Tomlin, who've written songs like How Great Is Our God that's been translated into all the languages of the earth. It's amazing. And I mean, I mean it's, it's incredible. You must hear it in Mandarin. And, and he's filling stadiums at that stage with 60,000 people. And I'm going, my little living room was so insignificant. And then God challenged me. He said, but but that living room worship service was not insignificant for the lady whose life was turned around. You see, Chris Tomlin wasn't there for those 12 people. I was there. God put me there. And I wanna say this to you. If you're a worship leader in a connect group, when you begin to play the hit song that the popular worship leader has, has written and you begin to play that song in your connect group, I wanna remind you that that worship leader, he or she, they are not there for those people in your group. You are there. You were there for them. God put you there. We have uh, an evangelist back home in South Africa. You may have heard of him. His name is Angus Buckham. And he draws very big crowds. I think one of the prayer meetings he gathered 600,000 people or something ridiculous like that. A lot of people. And he prophesies over the nation. Really, God has used him mightily. But in your connect group, there are people that need a word of encouragement. They need a word of of prophecy, and in that moment, they don't need you to be dreaming big about walking across the stage and addressing the crowd and the nation and prophesying over the nation. They don't need you to dream big. They actually need you to dream small and walk across the room and pray for them. That's what they need. Because Angus Buchan isn't there to lay hands on them. You are. God put you there. 
And there are factory floors and there are boardrooms at Angus Buchan and Mike Pilavachi. And I will never, I'm not putting myself in that category, but we will never get, I tell my congregation home, I'm never gonna get into some of the factory floors and boardrooms that you are. I'm not in all the connect groups, but you there, you take God's presence because you're authorized to do it. Don't look for an ox and a cart, you do it. God has empowered you. And I wanna say this, the Lord is on the move. And his presence is on the move. The ark, in a sense, is on the move. And we are the modern day Kohathites. We've been tasked to carry his presence to where it needs to go. We are the greater spiritual descendants of Kohath. We are the Kohathites, it's our job. And I wanna say that it really starts getting fun when we all get involved. And this work we've been given, this work is doable. It will not crush us. Jesus said in Matthew eleven thirty, 30, when we lift the poles of God's presence onto our shoulders, this is work we can do. She says in Matthew eleven thirty, 30, he says, for my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. I want you to see this verse with a whole new perspective after understanding the Kohathite's job. Jesus didn't speak about putting a yoke onto oxen, didn't he? He spoke about putting a yoke onto us. Why? Because that's how he's always done it. He's always done it on the shoulders of his priests. And today that's us. This work is not a burden, it's life-giving. And when everyone joins in, we then begin to fulfill the words of Jesus. We then begin to fulfill the dream he had when he said, you will do even greater things than me. The extent, the reach of what you will do when you all begin to carry my presence will be even greater than I was able to do on my own. We get to live and fulfill that promise. Let's close our eyes. Father, I wanna thank you for your word. I wanna thank you, Lord Jesus, that through the ages, you could have done it without us, but you've always chose to, chosen to involve us in your work on earth. What a privilege, Lord. What a privilege. And just wanna say one thing. I really have felt that there are people we had a few in the first service, and I believe there are some here, that somewhere along the line, you had someone say something that put you off stepping into, perhaps you had an ability to prophesy, you would do that, you would have words of knowledge. And I wanna encourage you. You know, I had, I had an experience years ago where I was in the water when my friend got attacked by a shock. And I, I never went back into the water again. It, it's, it's, it's the deep water where the waves are. I stayed in the shallows, I got scared of the deep water. And I believe for some of you, you were out in the deep water, you were ministering and you got a shark attack. Someone attacked you. Someone said something. They criticized you. They accused you of something. They told you you were showing off or they said something horrible to you and you've now been paddling around in the shadows and God said, it's time to get out into the deep water again. And I wanna encourage you, if that's you, you need to engage with God because he wants you back in the water. He wants you to swim out into the deep. He wants you to put the poles on your shoulders and, and get out there and begin to do the work he's called you to do because he's placed you there and he needs you. There's no one else, it's you. He's put you there. I encourage you with that.